0: Welcome to the Evolutionary Androgen Podcast. I'm Charlotte Alea and I am on a quest for the stories that reveal to us our evolutionary potential. I search folklore throughout time and from around the globe that hold the keys to transform humanity's current crisis from fractured and separated to whole and healed. As we unify feminine with masculine, a new version of us is emerging. I can't believe that we have made it full circle. Okay. I actually can't believe it because it has been a wonderfully full year of writing and recording these episodes for you. This is the final episode of our mythic quest and I got to say, I think I saved the best for last. Here is where we bring our journey home. Today, we arrive at the silver ray of devotion. To introduce this ray, I got to tell you about a dream I had the night before I wrote the outline for this episode. So in the dream, I'm taking an art class and sitting behind an easel with a classroom of several students, all positioned seemingly randomly around the room. As our first assignment, we are each creating something that expresses who we are. The assignment has actually come to an end, and the teacher is calling on students to share their work. So for a while, I sit with this familiar feeling of nervous anticipation, not knowing what I'm going to say when he calls on me, And then there's some students who are sharing, and I'm waiting, and then the teacher calls on me. I notice that I'm holding a pair of pink dried rosebuds in my left palm, and then I begin to share what my art piece expresses about me, the words speaking me more than me speaking them. This is what I said, or pretty close to it anyway. My devotion is to my connection to the spirit realm. When I said that word, devotion, my consciousness woke up within the dream. Sparks flew in all directions, the sparks of truth. And I awoke feeling the sentiment that I had uttered through every cell of my body. In light of this dream, I realized that the silver ray asks us each to ponder our life as if it is an art piece we are tasked to create. What do we choose to devote ourselves to with this precious life? Perhaps devotion as a word turns you off. And if it does, I understand why. It's been co-opted by Orthodox religion and a culture of indentured servitude-like work. But in the true light of the silver ray, we are never asked to devote ourselves to something or someone that isn't devoted also to us and that doesn't ring as truth at the core of our being. The divine feminine archetype of the silver ray is the priestess. She who brings us home to the divinity of the goddess, Mother Earth, and the divinity within us. She who helps us remember that she and we are one. We can priestess in countless different ways, but how we priestess and who or what we honor as divine becomes our practice of devotion. Our divine masculine archetype is the way-shower, he who reveals a path for us through the wilderness of the unknown, he who lights the way. It is only when we know we are home, with our feet sprouting roots within the layers of Mother Earth, in our crowns reaching up as branches into the heavens, that we can then explore what is within the great beyond. Our story today will bring all of this home and reveal to us why these archetypes of the priestess, of the wayshower, are crucial for us to embody at this time in humanity's evolution. Today, I tell the story of Merlin's life, about how he went mad and wandered the wilderness, I first read this in the fall of 2022 and soon knew I wanted to bookend season one with this story. It is now one of my favorites. I hope you'll see why. Geoffrey of Monmouth is believed to have quote-unquote authored this story as Vita Merlini in the year 1150. But if he did, in fact, author it... He drew it together from many indigenous sources and storytellers. This is one of those tales that was passed down word of mouth from country to country across the Celtic lands and Western Europe. The characters changed names, titles, personalities, but the arc of the story remained the same. Consider the telling today a highly abridged version. The original text is about 58 pages, and I don't want to keep you here for hours, so I left out a lot of what doesn't feel relevant to this specific telling, but I encourage you to look up this story for yourself. Vita Merlini. It is in public domain and free for all. Here is the story of Merlin. As we begin, Merlin has left his position on the royal court of Cumbria, where he was King Rodark's bard and prophet. A wizard and druid of high esteem, Merlin could expertly see the past, present, and future, and was employed to tell his predictions about the future of the country to His Majesty. However, this employ had driven Merlin to madness. At one reading, he saw a battlefield that ran with a lake of blood of his slain kinsmen. Beheaded men, body parts, and death strewn across the field for as far as his eyes could see. It was the fall and doom of Britain, and it was just too much, and he could take no more. For many days and nights, he screamed, pounded the earth, and tore out his hair, ripped his clothing to shreds. And then he left the court and all he knew to wander the wilderness. He lived on the fruit from trees and the water from streams. He slept under great oak trees and befriended his creature kind the deer, rabbits, wolves, and hogs. Through it all, his mind still ran mad with the blood of his kinsmen. He found no peace. In the winter, Merlin had a much harder time of it, drenched by rain, covered in frost, with no shelter of leaves and no fruit to eat. His sister, Ganietta, who was the queen and wife of King Rodark, grew worried for her brother and so sent a messenger to retrieve Merlin. The messenger convinced Merlin that his wife, Gwendolena suffered too much without him and thus he must return to the castle. Merlin reluctantly agreed. Immediately upon entering the court, he saw Rodark kiss his sister, Ganietta, and pull a leaf out of her hair. Merlin then exploded into laughter. He laughed so loudly, so hard, he caught the whole court's attention, and the king asked him why. Merlin explained that Ganieta had just returned from being with her lover in the undergrowth. Ganieta immediately decried Merlin's statement as nonsense. It was coming from a madman, after all. She further proved her point to the court and the king, her husband, by creating a test for Merlin. She called in a boy and asked Merlin how he would die. From a fall, Merlin said. She sent the boy away and disguised him as a girl and brought him back and asked Merlin the same question. Merlin said, she will hang Ganieda sent the boy away again and dressed him up, this time as a woman, and sent him back out, asking Merlin the same question of how she would die. She will drown, Merlin said. Aha, Ganieda said. It was the same boy all along. This proves your madness has clouded your perception and predictions. The story then goes on to say, however, how Merlin was later vindicated. The boy would die by falling from a horse, catching himself on a tree hanging upside down, with his head submerged in a river. Merlin's sight made him mad, but his madness did nothing to take away his sight. Immediately then, a parade of knights and the men of the king's court entered the hall, and Merlin's vision brought on a flurry of terror and madness as he saw each of their bloody deaths on the battlefield again. He tried to run from the court, but the queen and king captured him and restrained him. For hours, Merlin fought against metal cuffs and chains as his wife, Gwendolyn, sobbed at his feet and begged for him to stay with her. He would have none of it. He no longer belonged here. Please, he lamented, let me return to the wilderness where I may live amongst the wild beasts and be free to roam mad. At last, Gwendolina acquiesced upon one condition, that Merlin release her from marriage and allow her to remarry as she chose. Merlin agreed, but added a warning that if he were to catch a glimpse of her with her new lover, he would surely kill him at first sight. Merlin returned to the wilderness and lived on for many years, as kindred to the forest and creature kind. One day, he looked into a reflection pool and knew his wife was to be remarried that day. He mounted a stag and called together a pack of deer, cows, pigs as a wedding gift for her. They charged into town, and he called to Gwendolyn outside the court. Gwendolyn came to greet him and receive the gift. Not knowing Merlin's threat against him, Gwendolyn's bridegroom followed. And within a moment, Merlin and the stag launched themselves at him and pierced him in the neck with the stag's antlers, immediately killing him. Mad with astonishment and horror at what he had just done, Merlin once again stormed off into the wilderness. Ganietta soon after went with a party in search of Merlin and found him. Again, she tried to convince her brother to come back to court, but he refused. Instead, Ganietta offered to build Merlin a house in the forest with a glass roof and 70 doors and windows so that he could remain warm in the winter and yet still observe the movements of the planets, stars, and galaxies. She would send food for him, messengers with news, and visit him often. Merlin accepted this agreement and the house was built Yet he still slept most of the warmer months outside under a tree. Ganietta returned to court to find that the king, her husband, had been murdered. Wrecked by grief, she fled to the glass house she had built for Merlin and stayed on with him in the forest. One day soon after, a spring spontaneously erupted near the house. Merlin heard it first and went to find it. Looking into the waters that bubbled forth from the earth, he was compelled to drink of them. As he sipped the cool, clean water, his eyes immediately cleared. The heaviness lifted from his heart. Gladness returned to his mouth with a smile. He breathed easily for the first time in many years. The gift of prophecy was gone along with the madness. The healing waters of the earth took them from him. Merlin was met by a court messenger who returned to town and shared the news, bringing back with him several members of the court to see of this miracle. Another madman wandering the woods followed along, drunk of the waters, and too was cured. Now that he was free of madness, he would surely come back to court into the new king's employ. Yes, the king's men said. No, Merlin said. The forest is my home. The wildlife are my kinsmen, and this is where I belong and forever shall stay. Ganieta and the other formerly madmen decided to stay with him, making permanent home in the wilderness. On a day soon following, Ganieta stood looking out the windows as the sun poured forth upon her eyes. She opened her mouth to speak of what she saw, of the fate that would befall the nearby villages, the cities, the kingdom, and all of Britain. In great poetic detail, she spoke of it all, of the future. And then she fell silent. Merlin, her brother, hearing all of this, came to her and said this. Sister, does the Spirit wish you to foretell future things since it has closed up my mouth and my book? Therefore, this task is given to you. Rejoice in it. And under my favor, devoted to the Spirit, speak everything. Did you happen to catch one of the last words Merlin Speaks? He says, under my favor, be devoted. I didn't catch it until I typed up the story's summary. And then I was like, wow, could this be any more perfect? I wonder, have you ever felt like Merlin? Like you're going mad with the awakening of the truth within your consciousness with only the peace and beauty of nature to console you? I know I have, and I bet that this is a pretty standard stage along the path of spiritual awakening for most of us, or heck, just living in this day and age. Lots of us get stuck here for a long time, just as Merlin does, because we haven't yet been bathed in the cleansing, healing waters of the feminine. It is only when Merlin drinks the waters of Mother Earth's womb that his madness clears. The gifts of spiritual perception can feel like a curse when not grounded and balanced by the loving waters of the feminine. This is why it is Ganieta's destiny to carry the gift of prophecy, not Merlin's. Why the waters choose her, a woman, to carry the torch while he retires in a glass observatory. That is why the priestess and wayshower are two halves of a whole. The priestess brings us home while the wayshower guides our path forward by seeing clearly from all angles, past, present, and future. There is a later variation of the story told within the medieval Arthurian legends, which I learned about from Caitlin and John Matthews' book, Ladies of the Lake. In this version, Ganiyeda is substituted for a woman called Nimue, a sort of grandchild to the goddess Diana. Nimue is fated to be trained and beloved by the most powerful wizard alive. She becomes Merlin's apprentice, learning everything from him. But his sexual advances towards her becomes too much for her to bear. So Nimue becomes so powerful, she tricks Merlin by his own magic, leading him into a glass tower inside the earth, protected by a spell that only she can break to release him. She then takes on his duties as magician and prophet within the Arthurian court. Although this story paints a more sinister picture of both characters and a more conflicted relationship between beloveds, revealing the biases of the author and the cultural backdrop of the time, the ending retains its power in that the masculine figure passes the torch To the feminine. The wounded masculine retreats into another world and leaves the fate of the earth to the feminine. I wondered as I read these stories were they predicting this time we live in now as the feminine is rising into power? The stories are about those that carry the gift of prophecy, after all. Could this be their hidden message for us? Merlin's last words to Ganietta are, Speak everything. These words carry weight to me. Like he's speaking directly to me now, not only his sister. About a time in the future when the voice of the feminine will be more important than ever. Crucial even to the future of humanity. We have actually heard a story very similar to these in this podcast before. (laughs) There is a highly similar theme in the story of Osiris, his destiny leading him to be king of the underworld, while Isis, his sister and bride, leads the people of Egypt upon the surface. And then... There is a story of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, one in which we touched upon in a previous episode. The Gospel of Mary gives an account of Mary speaking to the apostles about how Jesus had risen and appeared to her outside the tomb. She tells the disciples what Jesus told her, that he successfully traversed the seven levels of hell within the underworld and had been set free. Now that he was free... All would be free. Jesus charges Mary to lead the disciples and carry forth these teachings to the world. Does this sound similar to what we have just heard to you? It sure does to me. I mean, this has got to be the most powerful mythic arc of our time. The masculine going underground and passing the torch of leadership to the feminine. And yet, it is really important to emphasize that the masculine doesn't disappear by dying. He simply changes location from our surface-level incarnate world to the spiritual dimensions of the other world. Caitlin and John Matthews say about Nimue, She is a native goddess of the door, one who guards the borderlands of this world with the other. This is pretty much how I personally define myself as a priestess, and it is very similar to the truth I spoke aloud in my dream, which again was, my devotion is to my connection to the spirit realm. So this leaves our way shower as Merlin. Here's a question. Why would he need to be sent to the underworld? To answer this, I'd like to span out wider, like like super wide, (laughs) and offer the summary of a creation myth told by Robert Stewart in the book Power Within the Land. I'm not going to retell all the details because of time and also because he's super protective of his work. The story is older than the author, though. Much older, it is, I would say, without origin and comes through the deep recesses of the indigenous Celtic underworld tradition. What this is going to show us, I hope, is that our mythic arc may serve an even greater cosmic role, one that taps into humanity's collective purpose. Answering that greatest of spiritual and existential questions Why are we here? Here is a summary with a few embellishments by yours truly. The story goes that before the creation of the earth, there was no such thing as free will. Great creator created everything in the universe and multiverses as perfect reflections of itself. All the manifest worlds, including the galaxies with their perfected stars and planet beings. All the unmanifest, the angels and dragons, who oversaw the creation and destruction of everything conscious through the will of the Great One. And then a moment came along when Great Creator recognized that it was conscious. And thus, it wanted to know itself itself. Through this new consciousness, it gave birth to an angel that chose to create according to their own will. Great Creator blessed this new and exciting development of its own being and thus set the angel free. The caveat was that to choose to follow its own will, they were to forget their divine celestial origins and enter into a paradigm. Of polarity, This was the only way for the angel to have true freedom of will. The angel traveled far away from its original place of origin. From the perspective of us on Earth, it was as if the angel fell through the skies, through our solar system, traveling through the heart of Venus and reaching its final destination, the heart of Mother Earth. It is said that many light beings of lesser power came with this angel. Falling as they did, coming into the deep recesses of the earth and forming the other worlds beneath the earth's surface. These are the fairies, the teachers and guides, the shining ones. These beings know of their celestial origin and are here to help us remember ours. The angel came into divine union with Mother Earth. And through their loving conjunction, created creature kind, which carries the innocence of the earth's consciousness, and are here to help us all remember our innocence. The angel and mother earth then gave birth to humanity, which carries the angel's free will and the forgetfulness of their divine celestial origin. Humanity was to be the great project of great creator. Could they freely choose a path of remembering who they really are? Could they remember on their own that they are a reflection of the great creator, a spark of light? Could they remember that they are the love child between source and manifest form? With each human being who awakens to the truth of their existence the truth of love, they help to awaken the angel, the great sleeper at the center of the earth. They then become a bridge, a way-shower. This is humanity's purpose, to be the bridge between manifest reality and the light realms of spirit. When enough humans have awoken, the sleeping angel will fully awaken to who they are and where they came from. The angel and Mother Earth will give birth again, and Earth will ascend to her next dimension, along with all of her human, creature, and fairy kind. The end. I used to talk a lot about being a starseed. I even wrote a whole series of personal essays about how my soul came from the stars and not Earth. But you know what? This year, I realized I was totally wrong. I don't fault myself for this or anyone. The whole star seed versus earth seed thing is really popular in New Age spirituality. And okay, so it purports that there are some of us humans that originated here on earth and others that originated other places, other star systems and planets. It's not that I think this theory is never true or totally wrong. It's more that I believe it has major flaws and can sometimes do more harm than good. The reason it can be harmful is that it can lead people, including myself, to believe that they don't belong here on earth and will never feel like they belong. This year, I awakened to the truth that we're all equally earth seeds and starseeds. Through my interdimensional spiritual work, I traveled to Earth's center, her heart, and I found a great big blue celestial portal. This same portal is at the center of our hearts. It was then that it hit me that Earth, this beautiful celestial body that is our mother, is a starseed. She was literally made out of stars. She is a perfected celestial being. All spherical forms, according to sacred geometry, are. Earth knows who she is. It's just that for some reason, we as humans have forgotten. Creature kind, plant and stone kind, fairy kind, none of them have forgotten who they are. It's just us humans. The shadow of the silver ray is the orphan. She, he, they who are without home, without parents, who don't know where they came from and where they're going. This was my core wound. And the story of being a star seed that I believed for so long gave me a reason to hang on to it. I believe that the orphan is a core wound that lives within all of us humans, but especially within those of us who no longer live upon our ancestral homelands, who live in cultures who have forgotten their indigenous languages, ceremonies, medicines, ways of living. And those of us who live within cultures of a plastic reality manufactured by colonialism and capitalism, the wound of separation throbs within some of us more than others. But if this creation story is as old as it pretends to be, the orphaned, the wound of forgetting that separates us from our source, may throb within just about all of us at a core level. Sometimes so deep, it is imperceptible. This origin story paints a mythic picture of how and why our forgetting could have happened. And the mythic arc of Merlin and Gagnetta fits right into this origin story like a Russian nesting doll. Merlin, Osiris, Jesus, they are the sleeper performing the role of the fallen angel. They had to die a human death and journey to the underworld to perform this role so that humanity would remember the story and know that they too could make the journey, could remember their eternal nature. He is the way shore through the other worlds and the underworld, through the unknown. He has gone before so that we may follow. The sister and bride, Ganieta, Nimue, Isis, Mary Magdalene, they are performing the role of the bridge the embodiment of Mother Earth's consciousness. Just as Earth opened her heart for the angel to come home to her, so the bridge opens the doorway for us to come home as well. She is both earthly human and a celestial light being, standing at the door to the spirit realms, holding it open to awaken humanity to their true purpose of becoming the bridge. We are Nimue. We are Isis. We are the Magdalene. We are the bridge, here and now. We are the priestesses, awakening humanity through the act of our own awakening, through the courage to stand at the threshold to the spirit realm, as those who are not ready to remember may laugh, throw things at us, or completely reject us and walk away. Being a priestess in this time of great awakening requires that we love on the orphan that lives at our core. It is the only way. As priestesses, we stand as a collective at the doorways between the manifest dimension of forgetfulness. Forgetfulness that has led to self-destruction, chaos, suffering, That seems often as if it is spinning out of control. We stand at this doorway of manifest reality in the spirit realm and our simple task is to remember. Just by remembering who we are, that we are earthly and we are divine, we come back home and we open the doorway for others to remember and come back home too. The fact that this story has been replicated throughout our world mythology for millennia convinces me of its worthiness and that we need to listen to it. To me, it offers an explanation to something that isn't explainable. It gives a beginning to something that has no beginning This is the purpose of embracing mystery within a human body with a logical mind that feels it needs to understand everything. There is comfort to me in knowing there is far bigger stuff happening in the multiverses than we can ever understand. This creation story feels like the children's version. We are told just enough for us to understand our tiny part in it all. Although tiny, What this story reveals is that our part as humans is important, crucial even. Each of our spiritual journeys is important. Each of us living out our journeys towards truth in some way makes us all whole and is leading us somewhere good, somewhere really, really good. When I am surrounded by the darkness of the unknown and Overcome by confusion and fear, I remember the story of the forgetful fallen angel coming into Earth's heart. And I remember Merlin and Ganietta, Isis and Osiris, Jesus and Mary Magdalene, and I feel a calm wash over me, like a warm spring. In the pool of that spring, I hear the word, DESTINY. What our souls crave more than anything is destiny. Destiny is unknown. Destiny is uncharted waters and star systems. Destiny is beyond the borders of where we have ever been. And that's where we are headed. Thank you, dear listener for joining me along this journey of the evolutionary androgen. We have completed our mythic quest. Perhaps I shall see you along the way of another journey in another world, navigating the spiraling tunnels of inner earth, the golden orbs of another planet, or the castles beneath the ocean. From here on out, Everything is possible.